1: we want the dynamite from the post recent site, AEW, lighting up the fuse, sit back and enjoy the bubble. as we hear from John and Wayne Tate, where we're going, we don't need roads, and if the buck stops, here, yeah, this thing might blow, everything you hear are opinions of the show, and if you don't like it, go to the Forbes, and let them know.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewinded Dynamite. John Pollock and waiting here with you on Wednesday evening. Following tonight's AEW program, where we're going to go through the go-home edition of Dynamite, heading into All Out, and a lot of news, as usual, to go through. And we'll try and squeeze in a preview of the pay-per-view before the end of tonight's show. How are you, Wei?
0: Doing okay, John. Yourself?
2: Uh, doing okay. Um Tonight, we had you know, a series of really unfortunate stories. Uh, that's where I kind of wanted to just start things off before we get into everything else. Uh, number one was the real, just a very, very sad story involving uh, Casey Michael, who ran the Squared Circle Sirens website. Um, the the site's uh, Twitter handle threw out um, an update tonight that he had passed away at the age of 26. Uh, Casey had had a lot of health problems over the last number of years. I don't know all the specifics about it, but he was you know, very public about what he had been dealing with, having to get um, portions of his intestines removed. It sounded like a real bad deal that he had been um, battling for a, a number of years at this point. I think that he was in the hospital for a real extended stay uh, last year. And he had, he had put out a message a couple of weeks back about, Uh, Getting news that he'll probably never eat again uh, because of the intestines that had to be removed from him and he would have to be on kind of like food that is given to you intravenously. Like that was what he was looking at for the rest of his life and would still be facing the prospect of a transplant. Um, So this was only three weeks ago. Uh, We don't know exactly the the specifics um, beyond this message that the site's Twitter put out tonight, but... Uh, it's just a really awful story. Twenty six years of age is just so young. Um, I, I didn't know Casey tremendously well. Uh, we had communicated, but um, I, I had a lot of respect for his work, his his coverage of specifically women's wrestling, but also like when you would see. You know, new uh, tryout camps at NXT. You know, he would be on top of that beat when it came to uh, finding out who was at these camps and and who they were looking at. I mean, he was very plugged into that. He was a very accomplished reporter um, at, at a young age. So, I just want to start off the top with that. It's um, it's it's just a very sad story of someone who was dealing with with a lot health wise over these last couple of years.
0: Yeah, he seemed like somebody who uh, affected women's wrestling a great deal and uh look at
2: all the people that have tweeted tonight mm-hmm. like wrestlers and people like across the industry i think that tells you of you know the uh the role he he played especially in advocating for a lot of female talent out there certainly
0: and to accomplish all that is at such a young age um incredibly tragic uh
2: and then um Over at the Wrestling Observer site, um, there was a message tonight that Jim Valley, who is the co-host of Wrestling Observer Live, he also does the Pacific Rim podcast with Fumi Saito, Uh, he is currently in ICU, and his wife Carrie had sent this update, this is on the Observer site now, that... Jim has a rare autoimmune disease disease called GPA. And while it has been in remission for about six plus years, he is having a flare up. He got laryngitis in July, but it manifested into pneumonia, which we didn't know until last week. He has a fantastic team working with him one step at a time. So we're sending out our best wishes and a full recovery for Jim Valley, who was someone that uh, not only was I and am a fan of his uh, radio shows, but I was really glad that we got to meet him. Back when we were in Japan earlier this year, uh, we I saw him at the Stardom show and just went up just to introduce myself, and we ended up you know really having a great conversation and uh, went to Ribera as well with him.
0: Yep, um, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a listener of his pretty regularly on Wrestling Observer Live, and uh, I've I've enjoyed like anytime time he's hosted or guest hosted, always enjoyed his takes. Um, so I hope he makes a full recovery and uh, that gets to continue because. Um, I can't take any more bad news, honestly.
2: It's, yeah, um, it's it, it's really tough. We're hoping for the best uh, for Jim and that this is just a, a minor setback and he makes a, a complete recovery. Dwayne Johnson, uh, he announced on Thursday, or sorry, Wednesday, uh, we're on today, uh, that him and his wife, as well as their two uh, baby daughters, had tested positive for COVID-19. But he did state that they are on the other end of it. And it seems like they are symptom-free. That's that's what it uh, sounded like. He said, we are no longer contagious. And uh, said that, you know, they've kind of uh, gone through this. And it seemed to be like they are through the worst of it, which thank goodness uh, for all involved. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, another a very high-profile name, obviously, in Dwayne Johnson that um, is attached to this. And I think that it's, you know, when you it does have a big impact when you hear like these names, like we go back to the beginning of this. It was, you know, Tom Hanks was kind of like the eye-opening moment. Like, Oh my God, Tom Hanks has this thing. I think that there is granted. We are months into this. I think most people understand the severity of this, but it's, uh, you know, thankfully it sounds like they are through the worst of it. Uh, Let's get into uh, some, I guess, more uh, happier news move on to some television ratings are you ready to talk some digits way some numbers of course nothing
0: like the uh i guess the uh cold hard i don't know factual nature of numbers to uh wash away i don't know
2: kind of puts into perspective how how silly all these debates are about ratings every week when we have like real stories to talk about Mm -hmm. uh nxt on tuesday night did eight hundred and forty nine thousand viewers uh, which would be their second highest number this year, and a 0.26 in the main demo, their highest demo number this year. Um, they found a, a big increase among uh, adults 18 to 34, which were up 17% compared to last Wednesday's Unopposed show. Um, they also found that, like, young females, this has been a very tough audience for NXT to find. And they did their highest number in the 12 to 34 demo since April 22nd on Tuesday night and granted yes you were not running against AEW you had this big iron man match that you had promoted but still you were on a different night of the week and i think that that is we saw with AEW that they over two episodes on a Saturday and Thursday were able to move their audience but this to me is as clear a sign as possible that NXT should be on a different night and for their – like to me, it would be hubris to be staying on Wednesdays at this point. They're going to get another test next week on a Tuesday night unopposed where I think numbers will probably be in the same ballpark. But if your goal is growing this program and being in the best position possible when you're up for a renewal, it's it's a clear answer I think at this point. And I think that this number on Tuesday we could look back on one day as being, you know, the – the decision-making number?
0: Possibly, yeah. Um, you know, I, I do feel like it is somewhat skewed because you have a big title match determining a brand-new champion. You're going to have that again next week, too. Um, I, you know, I do wonder... No doubt they they would do better on Tuesday than Wednesday, though. I mean, simply, you know, uh, unopposed, I think, is, is a big help to them. Um, but it, I, I guess it really does go back to what the intent of NXT is. Is it necessarily just to gain ratings and to make as much money as possible? Or is it to diminish whatever ratings AEW can get without opposition?
2: Yeah, to me, it is your goal is turning this into as profitable. This is programming that you want to make as much money as you can off of. I think that, you know, we we can look at this as like a year ago. This was clearly being placed as a as a just direct competition for AEW and feeling like this would be a a fight that we will come in and we're going to severely hamper AEW's growth. That did not happen. And to me, it's WWE for the last 22 years, they have, they have not had to concede in any regard when it comes to their wrestling product. They have not been challenged. This is one where, it is clear they are number two on Wednesday nights and they are not in, I would say they are not within striking distance of surpassing AEW anytime soon. And it's only hurting your own audience by placing it against AEW. I think now you seriously make that, um, that kind of a decision, uh, Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful. He's reported that, you know, the idea has been floated and WWE has been receptive to it. Uh, So at least like that idea is out there. There's nothing confirmed about that. But I think that coupling next week, which I think is going to be a similar outcome, this will be a serious move to think about. And I think it's the move to make. I think it's clearly the move to make.
0: Well, I think for all of our sakes, it would be nice to have one show a week to watch rather than everything bundled up at the same time. Um, maybe at that point, you know, all the hysteria about who's winning ratings on Wednesday night will die down.
2: If if you look at it, I, I did do these numbers just looking at the, uh, the, le- so we've had now three episodes in a row where NXT has not faced, uh, AEW competition and looking at the prior three episodes, NXT in these three episodes has seen 21% more viewers and 38.8% higher in your demo number. Now, that's just three episodes, and granted, some of it you can maybe say are skewed. I honestly felt, though, that like moving to Tuesday night almost evened out the fact you had this huge title match. I thought it was going to be a a tough move. You also had NBA competition last night. They were on ABC as opposed to just on cable. Uh, It was a pretty big game. Um, So I I look at this as a very strong sign for NXT, and it would be only your own pride keeping you on Wednesday and if I'm USA Network I look at this I'm not even thinking twice about what what is most viable for for NXT in the the long run I think there's more growth potential for NXT they are not going to grow in this Wednesday head-to-head slot I think if new fans are coming to Wednesday night they're checking out AEW they're not creating new NXT fans you put them on a new night of the week I think that's the growth potential for NXT if they want to be expanding instead of just being a roadblock for aew that is not is it's not hurting aew's growth possibly at least at least to the, the degree that i think they thought they would when they went on wednesdays
0: yeah i mean you know you've kind of had your results now from a year of this head-to-head battle um things seemingly have settled and they're probably going to continue this way for quite some time is it worth fighting anymore or do you just kind of do what's best
2: for everybody. What did you think about NXT on Tuesday night, specifically the Iron Man match?
0: Um, I just watched the match, uh, the Iron Man match for, for the hour, and uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good match. Um, I'm not really upset by the finish. I I got some results. Did, did you know the finish going in? I didn't, no. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't upset by it because, like, I, as long as, to me, like, the match is satisfying and you maintain my interest in you know a direction heading forward um i i th- i didn't feel like it was a bait and switch you know it wasn't like oh we had a draw all our for all four people come back next week i mean essentially it turned into a bit of a mini tournament and you did have progression and uh something to look forward to building up to next week so i wasn't upset by it at all
2: Yeah, I think if you went in, like, I was going into this one with, like, very high expectations, given the talent involved. It wasn't, like, your match of the year, but it kept my interest for the whole time. They also had the, I would say it was a handicap, the fact that you have to work in commercial breaks, which you have to for a match of that length. That's just the reality of putting a match like that on television. But I found there was was one picture-in-picture where they had one of the best sequences of the entire match, and it was in the picture-in-picture. And... I found myself more engaged of during the picture-in-picture picture than I am for most matches, which it's almost like an automatic tune-out period. It was definitely a
0: smart thing to try on a show where you were unopposed because people weren't going to be tuning out to watch AEW. Good point. Uh, and I, I think you know, looking at the ratings, I mean, it was a successful thing to do because um, you great you definitely built in like a great deal of prestige into something like an iron man match just the physical feat of seeing wrestlers go out there and try to perform at high capacity i would at pretty high really high capacity i would say for these four and for a full hour that in itself i think is a, a real legitimate uh, feat um so that was fun to watch and the promise of there being a champion afterwards i'm sure was a great draw as well uh but again you know i can't get mad at, at a at an output like that
2: No, no. I thought, like, you know, certainly the the four uh, worked hard, and so it'll be Finn Balor and Adam Cole next week, and yeah, I think that's a good hook for next week as well. I think people know you are getting the champion next week, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Unless it's, like, a double pin or something. Now, that would be (laughs) too much. (laughs) Then people will be outraged. Um, So next week, it's that. They've also got uh, Rio Ripley against Mercedes Martinez in a steel cage match. Uh, and that those are the two big matches for Super Tuesday, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are they, like if they are, are they just going to number all of these Tuesdays? I mean, hmm. we get to maybe Super one Tuesday day three.
0: Super. I Tuesday. mean, if they
2: move to Tuesday nights, just keep them numbered every week. Super hmm. Tuesday eighty five.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: Raw ratings from Monday. They did 1,896,000 viewers uh, going up against uh, the NBA playoffs. Uh, they did a 0.58 in the demo. So, you know, it was going to be a come down from the night after SummerSlam, which was their highest number since the night after WrestleMania. So that was somewhat expected, um, but not down terribly um, still to me. I looked at this less as a post pay-per-view bump and more so they have I think the combination of this Thunderdome bump that they have received, I think they're still to a degree riding that wave. While also I think that the there is a bit of a momentum to the main roster programming, given uh, a number of different stories that they have with the Roman Reigns stuff that I think has trickled a bit to both shows. Um it, it just seems like there is there there's is something there that seems to be it feels less flat than it has been throughout the summer where numbers were at pretty low levels and they've come out of rock bottom and they're riding this wave. What would you think is kind of the the key factor right now? Do you think it's just the Thunderdome presentation? We all kind of underestimated its impact.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that does account for something, you know, maybe from a casual fan flipping through seeing this as opposed to what came before. Perhaps they it actually does make a difference. Um I can't really speak to, to how those people might feel. But for me personally, I think Raw has been been better these past few weeks. I mean, the show is still long. To me, that is still the biggest complaint. But as far as storylines go, I think there are several storylines that, in my opinion, are better. So if you're somebody who might have tuned in out of curiosity after SummerSlam or just to see the Thunderdome thing, I think there's a higher chance that you might give it another chance the next week coming after because you are coming off of i would say some several several episodes of of raw that have been better than usual
2: yeah one one interesting uh demo was um you know we we just talked about it with nxt doing uh you know better by their standards with uh the 12 to 34 female audience on raw monday that audience was up thirteen and a half percent and that's coming off you know a week the prior where uh, the prior week where they were they were up across the board so that was another strong demo for them and in the third hour i mean it was double digit losses in every demo in the third hour um except for this one which was actually up four percent so for females in that demo um so something clicked on Monday, and it actually increased because the rest of the third hour, uh, Raw Underground, and the promise of a three-way for the Clash of Champions challenger that was not big. Including adults over fifty fell twenty percent in the third hour, which is the most that demo has fallen in the third hour since March. Interesting. Okay, yeah. was there any competition? Uh, you did have the you did have the NBA, um, but I, I I don't I don't have really one specific reason for that big fall. Other than I I think raw underground, I think it had, it's it's little hook when it first started. I don't think raw underground is, is playing much of a factor any longer. And I, I don't know what, why it was so big of a drop for that over 50 audience, which is typically your audience. That is, you'll see a fall in the third hour, but not to this degree. So I I don't know what you attribute that to this week of all weeks. I guess just not a whole lot of uh fans that were rooting for uh Randy Orton to secure his rematch. Hmm. Let us continue. And have you heard any of Renee Paquette's uh post WWE interviews?
0: Yeah, I listened to the one on uh
2: on the media podcast. Was it the Sports Illustrated one? Yes, that's right. Yeah, she she's done she's done a few. She did one with Barstool Sports. I did not hear that one. And then she did one with uh, Jimmy Traina on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. And then today, she was on with Richard Deitch. And I caught that one as well. Uh, th- the main one is the the one you heard with Jimmy Traina. I think that one had the most news coming out of it. And it kind of reminded me, like, Renee Young is Renee Paquette now that she's going by. Like, she paints, like, a very positive view of her time with WWE. But she is very much like Brian Danielson in the sense she is going to be transparent and she's not going to lie. And that's not always going to paint WWE in a very favorable light. And I think that there is lots here that you could look at that. I mean, if you follow WWE long enough, none of this is surprising, but to a casual observer, this is a very strange company to work with. And I, I think that's what you would take away from this.
0: To me, I think it's perhaps just a, I don't know, kind of reinforces the, mm, I don't know, micromanaging of of all levels of PR, um, down to you know what what its performance tweet out. I mean, you know, for the most part, like Renee seems to genuinely have had uh, a wonderful time working for this company. But when it comes to, uh I think their treatment of her, you know, getting positive, uh, positive test for COVID nineteen, um, and their follow up, first of all, um. I guess somewhat reprimanding her for tweeting it out. Secondly, uh the lack of follow-up seemingly from office, um, to ask her whether or not she was doing well. That seemed like it was a big fumble and probably, you know, from from what I heard, um eh, maybe the, combina- it's, the it's combination of the
2: two is it makes them look really bad. Like not only like your interaction with her was not an how are you doing, it was hey, This makes us look really bad. And Renee on the Richard Deitch uh, podcast, she was definitely trying to downplay this, that it was not so much her being reprimanded over it, just that, Hey, we would have appreciated a heads up um, to, to deal with it. But it was, yeah, I think the combination of the two is that, you know, you were upset about this tweet, but at the same time you couldn't even, you know, check up on me. And I think to her point that she brought up the fact that, you know, there are people I was around that there's a certain responsibility I have. I was traveling during this time. It's like she's not based in Florida, so she was flying to Florida to let people know that came into contact with her because there are like what was the level of transparency about uh, people that were testing positive? Like we don't really know. And I I don't blame her at all for tweeting that out and she certainly Explain that she was not doing this as a hey, making WWE look bad. It was just this is my thinking, life. This is a normal person tweeting, uh-huh. Hey, I've got COVID, and being transparent about that fact.
0: Yeah. She also got into, uh, you know, maybe some of the, some of all of this starting when Backstage got canceled and her reflecting upon like what she was really, what she had left to do in the WWE. She kind of mentioned how she, Thought going back to doing Talking Smack without Brian, uh, I think without like another producer who used to produce the show, that would be taking a step backwards for her. Um, And even going back to do, you know, backstage interviews to her seemed like it would be a step back. And so it, I guess, is just uh, perhaps a bit of a reminder of like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe what, you know, like she is somebody who clearly has bigger aspirations than just, you know, being a mic stand as she... Kind of mentioned about feeling like when, whenever she was just eventually holding a microphone for wrestlers to cut promos.
2: Yeah. She, she very much wanted a role, like she specifically mentioned, like a Megan O'Levy on the UFC broadcast, where Megan O'Levy is a, like a significant contributor to a UFC broadcast. And, you know, we talk about like all of these kind of tired, tropes that we see in wrestling like the the general manager that we need and it got me thinking that you know uh like treating your backstage interviewers your charlie caruso's your caleb braxton's and they do this to a degree but nowhere near to what could be effective is like having them like legitimately playing reporters that can advance storyline details like you have to announce a match like why are we looking at a gm when it can be Charlie Caruso is on the scene and is reporting that so-and-so has signed on for this match. Like, having them more involved, and I think you had the perfect person in Renee, and that's what she wanted to do, but that was not kind of where they were going. Because after – when SmackDown started on Fox and she was off the Raw commentary team, like, it was the launch of backstage but also pumping her up that she would be a SmackDown contributor – and that really didn't materialize into anything other than the odd time she'd show up and do her backstage interview routine, which, you know, grew she grew tiresome of, clearly.
0: Just doesn't seem like the way that they create their, you know, fictional TV. Um, I mean, that backstage correspondent role really, like for the past several decades, has been nothing more like than people who I don't know are portrayed to be
2: my guest at this time and hold the microphone. Yeah. And, and and throw out bad questions. Like that's kind of, it's a very, you know, she talked about like, I'm was not an essential person at these tapings. And clearly she had her misgivings about having to work, especially during the early portion of the pandemic where WWE was not doing the testing that they're doing now. Um, The, The backstage interviewer
0: trope in the WWE has always been at least for, you know, a long time now, not necessarily somebody, um, to be respected they are maybe just people for to be made fun of by heels or just there to again really just hold microphones and to you know um pitch to to the to the wrestlers to give their promos um so it it just didn't seem to fit with where they were how they see that role
2: Mm -hmm. and you know and with backstage um obviously she went into that with the hope that it was going to be a lot more than, you know, what she compared it to, like closer to the kickoff show. Like that is what that, you know, the show would have its moments, but you know, if you, if you were going in there expecting this to be covering non WWE or any of that, like, I don't know if anyone was really expecting like that is the show it would become, but it was obviously what, what she was hoping for. And given what that show was, um, like, it was just to me, like, it was almost contradictory. Like you've got a guy in CM Punk uh, and I think you, you want to have the show that has more of a loose feel to it. And that wasn't, that wasn't going to be the show. No wrestling. I mean, WWE
0: is like, it's not really a sport that you, it's not like a UFC where you can have, you know, uh, Dominic Cruz or Daniel Cormier criticize a fighter's fighting style. um, Or whether or not this fight was a good fight when you're doing a similar type of show in professional wrestling, you are going to be criticizing the work of your colleagues, the creative work of your colleagues or the physical work of your colleagues. And it just, eh, it, again, it just does not. They, seem They like do a, a little
2: bit of that. Like when it was a bad storyline, I mean, it's not like they would just, you know, pump well, up everything.
0: Renee even mentioned like how even there oh, during instances like that, it, it felt uncomfortable. It mm-hmm. felt almost like whether or not, I don't know if it was encouraged or not, but just, it 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 did not seem like it was a completely open place to have a conversation like you and I are having.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you had one person that, like, granted, this was a this was an FS1 produced show, but of that panel, Punk was the only one independent of WWE that was not working directly with WWE. The others, I mean, it was just th- there was no way that was going to happen. Yeah, and it just it, it you know it was. It was what it was, but you know, Renee, Renee clearly had higher hopes for that. Um, the rest of it, yeah, I mean, she brought up the fact that the company did not want her tweeting about John Moxley. I, I wonder if this was tied to when she was tweeting during the match her horror of watching the Moxley-Kenny Omega match. Uh, I don't know if she continued tweeting beyond that, um, but I, I do remember that, that maybe that was their, hey, we'd rather you not tweet about your husband uh in aew but again to the to the normal person that just comes off so weird insane isn't it yeah um it's like
0: you know but then again like these are these are people who control a professional wrestling league that are used to controlling every single aspect of their reality you know and to them twitter is just an extension of the characters that they play on tv but clearly there are some performers who don't feel that way I don't even want to feel like calling them performers. I mean, they're they're just real people when they're not working, aren't they?
2: Yeah, and to me, it's you know all of this stuff. Like, and again, like this is not an interview where she comes across as someone that's just like firing off all these shots. I think you you hear her at the end, like sat, like be very. She does not want to be positioned as you know just reading all these headlines and stuff. But I mean, obviously, this is you know very newsworthy elements that she's talking about and she's disclosing and they just kind of gives you that that full rounded picture of someone who is going to be very honest about their experience and is not going to sugarcoat things and i think she should be commended for being that open when others would or that if they had hopes of going back there or for whatever reason would not be as open about certain aspects
0: yeah certainly like you know these things are the most interesting talking points coming out of the interview but she was also just as complimentary about like all the colleagues that she worked with um, the opportunity that the company provided her Michael Cole, Michael Cole. Yep. uh, As a friend. And I guess uh, as somewhat of a mentor and uh, yeah, so she was very complimentary about all these things, you know, for the purposes of a new segment uh, that we're doing on this podcast, of course, we're going to pick the juiciest bits.
2: Is it crazy that two of the three original hosts of aftermath left WWE on their own within a week and a half of each other man the Canadian
0: broadcaster quota has certainly uh gone down in the WWE
2: yeah their their CanCon has been reduced mm-hmm. definitely and two people that were uh popular among their colleagues yeah so what what did you think about the um how do you feel about the the team on NXT with Vic Joseph Beth Phoenix and Wade Barrett I think they're you know,
0: Beth, I think really has like, like, I mean, I think she's always been really good, but like, maybe because she is like, at this point, the mainstay of that group, you know, Nigel's gone, Moro's gone, to me, like, Beth almost feels like um, the one constant that, that is incredibly reliable. I think she's really good. Uh, Vic Joseph is definitely passable, but she's, but he's not memorable. You know, he's not, um, eh, he doesn't have, he's not like the, the, the type of like, theatrical, like featured type of call that you would kind of hope for from somebody like a Jim Ross, but he's perfectly serviceable and, you know, knows all the moves, knows all the storylines. Um, but I can't say, you know, he makes that big of an impression. And to some people, that's exactly what they want in a commentator.
2: Some think, do. Like that's, yeah. that's where I think that's going to be, you're on one side of the fence or the other about your opinion of Amoro Ronaldo who mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, for, a lot of the wrestlers they were a big fan because of you know just the importance he placed on their match and really felt like it it helped and then you know there's fans that did not enjoy that style that maybe they do not want um such a a dominant figure in, in that desk and it comes down to your taste and and what you want if you and granted the the wwe style of broadcaster for this you know post jim ross era um is closer to one that is not going to have those definable calls and go into a a 10 and dialing it up for those big calls
0: yeah certainly you know i i think wade barrett um sounds great um he's you know he's been doing uh commentating you know throughout this entire absence i think um so he sounds fine he fits actually quite well I You know, I'm listening to the show, wondering how, how connected and how well he does actually know, you know, current NXT storylines. Um, I I mean, I think he knows him decently well. If, if he doesn't, he's been faking it really well. Uh, certainly, he has like a very good familiarity with many of the roster members, having worked with them or, you know, ha- having been familiar with them through coming up in the industry. So um, all that, I think, just probably it will take some research for him to really flesh out. Um, but I thought he, I think his voice sounds very good.
2: Oh, just on the the Renee front, one other note was that she did mention uh that she has a no compete clause and she had stated that it's longer than ninety days and when pressed uh by Richard Deitch in the interview, she he he asked is it around is it longer than a year? And she said it was kind of in that neighborhood, but she was not specific. So it sounds like it's a it's a fairly lengthy uh, no compete clause know, that she has. Do we know
0: if that's just wrestling or wrestling. sports? Okay, wrestling.
2: Wrestling, right. Yeah. So,
0: um, yeah. She and also she mentioned is... how she wanted to be Lady Rogan. If she Lady had Rogan. I pick. wonder if she,
2: she should trademark that. Lady Rogan? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think she could definitely transition very well into doing, uh, podcasting, video content, and I would encourage you to do it on your own. Like, just. You know, set out and do it on your own and don't sign a deal with someone immediately Um, because I I think she could just, you know, just get out there and do it on your own. And you might be very surprised by what the reception is like uh, out there rather than just signing something, the first offer that comes your way. Mm -hmm. But she's with CAA, so I don't think she needs my advice. Um, Final note here, Gabe Sapolsky, this is the end of an era Way he has announced that he has departed WWN, the uh, the group that he founded, along with a uh, business partner, Sal, Sal Hamoyi, I believe is the pronunciation. Uh, and he has considered himself now retired from independent wrestling. After starting with ECW, writing their newsletter in 1993, then being Paul Heyman's understudy, and then branching out on his own post-ECW with Ring of Honor, leaving there in 2008 to Dragon Gate USA, launching Evolve a decade ago. I mean, this is a guy that has done everything you can imagine in the independent wrestling world and announcing that, you know, this is, uh, he is done with independent wrestling for now. And it looks like he will just be dedicating himself full time uh, with his role in NXT.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, if you weren't really watching Evolve, I guess you, I don't know how much you would have been really aware of like, Gabe's work I mean certainly most of us I think remember his phenomenal phenomenal work with Ring of Honor Um, beyond that I I can't say he was that much on my radar but now that he's like full time with or at least doing a lot more with NXT like I can't even really say how much he's responsible for so in that sense like it's not like oh wow great angle Gabe is a genius I don't know if I can really say that anymore because I don't actually know like
2: what angles he's he's actually working on um maybe if there is um a two night extravaganza down down the road they do oh you maybe a re- two night two night great american bash
0: you know gabe says he's gone from independent wrestling but he didn't say anything about jimmy Bauer.
2: jimmy Bauer might be a free agent so uh you can keep your eyes up but uh there you go he uh he made that uh, announcement on on wednesday uh with him listing 507 shows that he put on from the first ROH show uh, to this past March.
0: Man, lasting in independent wrestling for that long is no easy feat. So, um, well, great congratulations to him. That's quite a run.
2: Not not an easy industry to to navigate. You make your enemies along the way. It's not a it's it's not the most uh, rewarding industry, and to do it for that long, the there's. Certainly an accomplishment in uh, 18 years of uh, promoting uh, on the independent front. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. Uh, uh, our own Andrew Thompson, he has an interview up with AC Mack that you can check out. Uh, he's also got uh, a great uh, rundown of Renee Paquette's interview with uh, Jimmy Traina with uh, quotes there uh, you can read from. And uh, and lost in everything on Tuesday night with NXT going on and everything else Uh Impact Wrestling quietly had a title change with Eric Young winning the title from Eddie Edwards.
0: Heard about this. I mean, it seemed to come a little bit out of nowhere because Eddie Edwards just won the belt. Six weeks ago. Yeah. So, um, seemed a bit sudden. Um, you know, what? what's the response been like?
2: I'll say, I mean, to me, it was not a big news item last night. It just seemed to, like I watched Impact last night, but, um you know with NXT on i think everyone's focus was there and uh it just kind of it's it's a reminder of i think where impact is in people's priorities um, when it comes to following it like this did not seem like a big story that they did a world title change on tv on tuesday night but you know they they're trying to build something like it's it's a fine show to to watch they they have some good characters um I, I I think that it is a tough watch these days with the setting that they're in but those are the circumstances that they're in. Uh they have ended Wrestle House. Wrestle House came to its conclusion on Tuesday night and maybe the highlight of the show with all due respect to uh Eric Young winning the title goes to Rohit Raju with a deep cut with TJP. I I saw
0: this um man that was the best. That uh, was greatest. He he threw that in there um on impact wonderful.
2: I I got the heads up on that one from Davey. He said you have to watch the Rohit Raju segment and I was Davey never gives me uh a recommendation. So I was I was I was all eyes and ears and it did not disappoint. So Rohit Raju was the MVP <laughs> dude, on Impact this week. Uh, if
0: next week, I don't know what storyline like they're taking part in, but man, if next week the dude could fit in a Oh, contrary frere, I would start watching Impact every single
2: week. Well, there you go. I mean, unfortunately it's a tape show, so he can't do this on the fly to win waitings viewership, but we shall see. Uh Rohit Raju confirmed 205 Live fan. Uh but there you go. That's uh the latest going on in the world of Impact Wrestling. Let's shift focus uh onto the schedule. Uh up next is already available for everyone. They had a special Wednesday afternoon edition of the show and they went almost two hours chatting about last night's NXT show, so you can go download that with Davey and Brayden.
0: They did a thing where... Um, so they they played 2K19, WWE 2K19 quite a bit, and a match matchup that they always enjoy doing is a Fatal 4-Way Iron Man match. So um, they decided to simulate one in the background of this podcast for, I don't know, an hour or something. So you can hear their uh, review of... Last night's NXT while another Fatal Four away Iron Man match uh is simulated in the background. So it was one quite- there's uh I'm I'm not there yet, so oh, I've yeah. only started the podcast. I have not finished it. But um happy birthday right now to Davy Portman celebrating tonight.
2: Yes, he's turning uh nineteen in about an hour and two minutes. Nineteen
0: in British years, yeah.
2: In British years, yes. Happy birthday to one Davy Portman. And I'm sure he'll be celebrating his birthday by watching this episode of uh, Dynamite. So right off the top, it is Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and for the first time since July. Hold on X- a second,
0: John. Um, tomorrow, the British Wrestling Experience. I wanted oh, to Oh, we, we
2: that. totally skipped over everything. You see, you took me down the birthday detour, and we forgot about every other show.
0: Yeah. The floor is yours. The British Wrestling Experience returns tomorrow. So that'll be Martin. That'll be Benno. And they have a guest, John. I'm trying to figure out who it is right now.
2: This is Shane from RussellWipe.com.
0: Okay, excellent. And what are they talking about?
2: They're going to be chatting about that recent Rev Pro show, the first Epic Encounters card that featured uh, Will Ospreay. And they're going to be reviewing that show, discussing all of the news uh, surrounding that show. They're going to talk about the return of NXT UK. That's coming up in a few weeks. And probably a ton of other topics that they will uh, tackle. So that's coming up Thursday.
0: On this feed tomorrow, uh, John will be taking part in a special Tony Khan uh, phone interview presser type of thing, uh, junket type of thing, ahead of all out. So uh, you guys will get to hear the audio for free on this feed, right? Uh, as probably is tomorrow afternoon at some point. Rewind Smackdown is on the Patreon feed on Friday night, and that's live for all patrons as well. And on Saturday, we have our Up Next post show coming up on this feed. Up Next, we'll be doing their uh, AEW All Out Watch Along hosted by John Cena because uh, I think Davey's actually celebrating his birthday then, so he'll be he'll be drunk in the background on the Zoom call. But uh, Cena will be holding it down, watching All Out with all of you guys at youtubecom next and then you can listen to our post show uh, right here on this feed. Sunday, WH Park returns with the long and winding Royal Road, his All Japan in the '90s retrospective. And his guest on this third episode of the Long and Winding Royal Road will be none other than J.P. Houlihan from the Grapple Spotlight. They'll be talking about Mitsuharu Misawa versus Jumbo Saruda from June 8th, 1990. So uh, we're going to get you all caught up. If you, you know, if wrestling's not really your thing, if you've kind of had enough of the wrestling thing after, I don't know, all of this, if you want to watch a film, right now we've got our rocky review from the last month up on our free feed just as a quick sample for all you guys you if you subscribe to this feed you'll have probably access to it already if you just scroll down one episode below this uh it is the new patreon exclusive movie review series that john and i are, are going to be embarking in next week is our rocky 2 review uh but those of you who haven't heard the first one yet we are, we're giving that to you for free and you can find it out on the feed right now
2: Yes, and again, Saturday night will be live for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons right after All Out, and they may no longer be billing this event as All In, but on Saturday night, Way and I will be presenting Call In. Ooh. Because all patrons will be able to call in and share their thoughts on All Out. Well, uh, maybe we should
0: call out... To one lucky patron right now, John, because we are giving away a T-shirt from Store.Postwrestling.com, our official merchandise store. Every single week on Rewinded Dynamite, we give out a shirt. So,
2: after the greatest segue we've ever manufactured, we now dig in to the patrons, and Way is going all out in his effort to provide you, the patron, with this item from Store.Postwrestling.com. The winner is.
0: Alrighty, congratulations to Craig Jolly from Edinburgh.
2: Craig Jolly, yeah, All right, cool name. Craig Jolly, okay. Craig Jolly. Well, con- congratulations, Craig! You are the proud winner of an item from the postmaster Store. Only one away, actually. If
0: like, if if my mouse had like like randomly scrolled up like one person above, it would have been your wife. <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I still would have had you mail it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. no, I'll hand deliver that one. You kidding me? Um, yeah. Anyway, hey, uh, just just a quick side note before we get to dynamite. I listened to Total Bellas today, or sorry, uh, the Bellas Listen. podcast. Oh, the Bellas. podcast. It was all about like their birthing and like the the kids naming the. They're kids. They're already
2: back to podcasting. Wow. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I, like, gu- I guess it was
2: what the end of July they had. It was like. August 1st, July 31st, Yeah, it was, like, the the
0: back-to-back days. Several weeks, yeah. But um, I I highly recommend that podcast. They get into a lot of details, of course, about, like, the whole process. Uh, Seems like Nikki is actually moving back to L.A., so they're not living in the same, like, they're not neighbors anymore. Uh, But, uh, you know, seems like uh, really great news all around for for that family. Did she say why she's moving? Uh, To be closer to Artem, because Artem's on uh, Dancing with the Stars.
2: Oh, Okay. all right. Well, there you go. What was um, Bella Brain's back?
0: No, not today. No. Oh, okay. Next week, I believe Artem and Brian are going to actually kind of talk about it from like their perspective. So Brian seems like he's got his hands full. Like all the kids, you know, two. Um, well, I guess two two pregnant women that are no longer pregnant, but nonetheless have like.
2: Um, uh, they're all really busy. It seems like. Oh, okay. Well, there you go on the uh, on the Bella's uh, podcast. Uh, What's it called? LaBella's Podcast. Oh, that's it. That's the name. Okay. I thought it had some like witty name to it. No. Okay. We go to AEW Dynamite. As I mentioned, Excalibur back on the show after being out all of August. Uh, He did return on Tuesday's edition of AEW Dark, which we had seen, um, you know, they had revealed he was there at Daily's Place last week to call Dark. So that was not a surprise. Uh, But here he was back on uh, Dynamite. They did not. Beyond Excalibur mentioning it was a long siesta, uh, they they didn't draw any attention to why he was gone, or they they didn't go near that.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you would. Um, if they didn't mention why he was gone to begin with, I, I doubt that they would mention it here. No.
2: Um, Santana and Ortiz versus the best friends was what kicked us off, and the best friends jumped Ortiz and Santana during their entrance And they just brawled all over the ringside area. Uh, This is all before the bell rings. They had like a pretty lengthy brawl. Chuck pulled out all of these chairs and built the chair structure of doom on the floor. And then Chuck ended up being thrown through his contraption off off the ramp through all of these chairs. And this looked like the most brutal bump of this show. And instead of like being in shock and horror at this, Tony had to read a plug for the countdown special on Saturday, which to me really negated like the impact of this move, like just the timing that we had to get in this countdown read right as Chuck Taylor has been decapitated.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a little too bad. Um, It needed to be a big spot though, because it was supposed to take Chuck out for a good portion of this match. Um, Yeah okay well yeah i'll get get to my thoughts at the end
2: as god is my witness he's broken in half off everybody at pep boys this weekend it's going to be a special sale use the code wwf uh he just went off the cage uh jerry (laughs) (laughs) trent fights back uh so it's pretty much a handicap match as the bell rings and chuck is out of it Eventually, he would return to the ring. Uh, this is after several minutes on the floor selling. He hit a Topicon Hero onto Santana and Ortiz, so he couldn't have been that hurt. Trent gets knocked off the apron onto the steps, which, granted, it was not uh, as brutal as falling on the chairs, but this thud that Trent made as he just came off and landed on these steps uh, just was... It was just uh, painful. No given these steps. Then we had a very confusing kick out where Trent hit Ortiz with the crunchy, the former dude buster. And he goes for the cover. And I guess Santana was supposed to get Ortiz's foot on the rope is what I thought. And either he was late, but Ortiz, his foot also wasn't really in position. So Santana had to put Ortiz's hand on the rope and it resulted in Bryce. His arm went down three times and the announcers were kind of confused at at all of this, and it was just it just seemed like the timing was off here, yeah, yeah,
0: um, something went wrong,
2: and then they went to the finish, where Santana grabbed a steel baton from underneath the ring, nailed Trent in the back, and that set up the street sweeper and Santana pinned Trent in six minutes and fifty five seconds. He had
0: the baton ready while Ortiz was still being set up in Trent's power bomb, So he must have had a, had a lot of faith that Ortiz was going to reverse that thing.
2: Well, um, maybe he had second thoughts about, do we really need this baton? Like, what is too much violence? I thought the match was
0: pretty mediocre. You know, they spent a long time setting up that chair stunt to delay Chucky's arrival. Uh, but I didn't think the two-on-one led to that much sympathy for Trent. And the hot tag when Chuck finally came back, to me, wasn't all that hot. And all that stuff at the end, too, did not go very smoothly. So I I didn't really like the match.
2: I thought it was almost too much of a stunt with the chairs for this match. And if you're absolutely adamant about it, like the ending of this match involved Chuck being taken out. So it's two on one. Like, could we not have saved this impactful bump for the end that Chuck doesn't come back from? It just seemed to mm. me that it, it wasn't belonging in this opener on TV and if it absolutely had to, like, let's at least maximize it at the end of the match and not be the, the first thing we see.
0: No, I agree. Yeah.
2: So um, I thought Santana was actually the, the one that stood out the most. I'm, I'm very high on Santana. I I, th- I think that this guy has, he's very good. Um, But Santana and Ortiz get the win. And I guess they don't have anything for the, they're in the battle Royal. They did establish that by the end of the night. So that's where they're involved. MJF's mm-hmm. with Wardlow. He says, The only possibility on Saturday is him becoming champion. Lee Johnson interrupts him. So MJF gets upset and Mark Sterling, the lawyer, is locked in his room. Wardlow kicks down the door and Wardlow gets into Sterling's face saying that everything is about him becoming champion. He knows Mark is scared about the match with Moxley tonight, but there's nothing scarier than someone that gets in front of my goals. And your options are to get in the ring or... This was censored, so I imagine he was threatening to put him into a fucking wood chipper. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. That's a very that's not the option to choose. You don't want to end up in the wood chipper. no, no, I thought
0: m j f was great here. I think um, in this feud, we've seen him really transition from being you know a very comedic type of heel or at the very least you know the type of heel that i mean does funny things and you know, towards the latter ha- half of this feud with Moxley on uh, an episode like this, he was definitely being more of a completely evil, serious threat. You know, and here he did a great t- type of mod bo- mob boss level threat against poor Mark here.
2: That's what I felt. Tonight was all about convincing you that this is MJF, the legitimate threat to John Moxley's title and a guy that can be just as violent as Moxley. Yeah, that that was the goal of tonight. Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Private Party against the Young Bucks, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. The winning team would face off at All Out. And Daniels and Kazarian came out and did a salute to Chadwick Bozeman at the uh, at the beginning of this.
0: Yeah, I uh, saw that. Um, I believe um, there was. Was it? Was it? Um, was there another team on RAW that did the same thing? Was it the oh, Hurt Business?
2: Um, I think so. I think so. I, I They did posed
0: I, and did a photo. But anyway,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a very fast start with Kazarian and Jungle Boy. I thought Kazarian looked great in this match, um, in particular when he was in there with Jungle Boy. Um, Matt and Nick are getting frustrated and angry, and they were clearly positioned here as having an edge to them and that they're you know, they've really been pushed to the brink with all this hangman stuff. There's a plant in the front row with a hangman drink my beer sign that gets torn up by Matt and then he dumps the beer on this poor guy.
0: Yeah, poor... I mean, you know, I thought it was a good way to show that Matt is still very mentally occupied with all the hangman stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah th- th- that was the biggest story of the match was just focusing on, like, the uh, the... The... Frustration by Matt and Nick, and definitely having uh, more of a heel uh, edge to them in this match with Lucha- Teaming with Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Um, they built up eventually after the heat on Jungle Boy for a long time, including going through a commercial, to a hot tag with Luchasaurus. Uh, later on, Daniels is in, BME onto Jungle Boy. Mark Quinn hit a shooting star, but Luchasaurus made the save. Quinn then flipped. Into a powerbomb delivered by Jungle Boy. Matt then tags himself in. Luchasaurus takes out Daniels with a spinning wheel kick on the apron. And the Bucks finish off Mark Quinn with the BTE trigger. And they're just total dicks afterwards. They don't want to shake hands with Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. We're not going into this match on Saturday as uh, friends that are just going to be... Have a competitive match. It's like, no. Fuck you guys. We'll see you on Saturday. And Excalibur says... No one's called as many young bucks matches as me, and I've never seen them this angry and focused.
0: They're done with friends, you know. They—they it's—it's bit them in the ass too many times, and now they're just uh, strictly about winning. So maybe this is like the big motivation that the Bucks need to finally get serious and challenge for the belts.
2: Jake Hager is in the back, and they made it very clear. He has hired his own camera crew to explain why we are watching Jake Hager go into a dressing room, and it's being filmed.
0: He's hired his own camera crew. So, so does every interaction backstage require the hiring of a camera crew?
2: This was the AEW staying true to their to their idea that we're never going to have the invisible cameraman in the back
0: right because usually it's like if you see a camera in the back it's like somebody talking directly to the camera this was not that this was more of a, like a classic like WWE style hey fly on the wall
2: type of thing but they did make the explanation that the fly on the wall was hired Yep, yeah. they made it clear that this is a cameraman that is filming this per Hager's request he walked into Orange Cassidy's room told him that Jericho wants him ringside for his match tonight and it would be smart for him to be there
0: as Cassidy reaches into his JanSport backpack,
2: a classic. Felt like I was uh, uh, got it on a back to school sale. Yeah, I had one of these backpacks once upon a time. Mm. Oh, yeah. reliable. You know, uh, it. I don't know how
0: big Halloween's going to be this year. Um,
2: but That's a good question. You know, probably but, not. Not a big thing this year, I don't think.
0: Unfortunately, no. But uh, you know, we saw Tony Khan last year do the, the do the Orange Cassidy um costume. I think Davey compartments done the the Orange Cassidy costume. It's a pretty easy costume to pull off. Uh and I I would only imagine like he's even more popular this year, so um I mean, I don't know if Halloween's going to happen or not, but I you could expect a few Orange Cassidys out if if it is.
2: This year Halloween's on a Saturday.
0: Mhm. Yeah, like, is trick-or-treating even allowed?
2: Uh, I guess it's going to be really dependent on what these next two months are like. Yeah. And and how comfortable people are going to be. Like, maybe even if it is looking better, uh, are people really going to be wanting to go door-to-door and have people handing out candy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a strange uh, world. Well, maybe virtual candy. You know, you could Venmo candy,
2: perhaps. That sounds like an experience. <laughs> hey, guys, we just got a credit on our on our 7-Eleven card It's to go get chocolate. Tully and FTR were in their team jackets. Tully said that they won the gauntlet, and had they not won, they'd be back to the contenders race. The prize is in front of them Saturday, but the champions aren't going to give them up. He's going to be ringside. Cash Wheeler calls this the most important match of our career. Our legacy is dead without a win on Saturday. If you think that is hyperbole, then Dax Harwood says we've got seven figures riding on this outcome on Saturday night. We have all day Sunday to be, sto- to be sore, but you will fear the revelation on Saturday. And what, what I liked about tonight's show is, I don't know if this is going to be like a gigantic show numbers wise, uh, but it was just everything was geared about Saturday night, Saturday night, and really pushing you to this pay-per-view. And I did like that about the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I wouldn't have expected anything less, honestly. Um, you know, for a feud like this, that's been quite a while in the making um, between FTR. Like they've held off. You know, I think uh, they've done a good job holding off on on FTR being in the title picture up until this point. And I feel like this program is peaking at like a pretty good rate. So, uh, it was a decent old school type of promo.
2: That was it. Yeah. Kenny Omega came out and they drew attention to the shirt he was wearing because on Thursday it would have been Hanakamura's 23rd birthday, uh, which is just you know tragic. Um, so Pro Wrestling Tees is doing a, a commemorative shirt for Hanakamura with the proceeds going to her family, uh, and they plugged it at Pro Wrestling slash Hanakamura, and that was the shirt that Omega was wearing coming out tonight.
0: It's really nice to see AEW promote this not just uh with kenny wearing it but having a lower lower third graphic and having excalibur uh talk about it too
2: so kenny is interviewed by himself in the ring by tony Schiavone. he says hangman caused the bucks to lose their match and was thrown out of the elite he said everyone makes mistakes in life page has to live with that for the rest of his life he called ftr cockroaches and hopes that they bring their a game on saturday because page and him are going to FTR and Tully come out with the beer cooler. And they just say, may the best team win on Saturday. And they offer Kenny some chalk. Some chocolate milk. And Kenny is not receptive to this offer. Calling them dickhead hillbillies. And then he goes on this tirade about being outnumbered. Spots Tully and then notes that it's three on one and that he can smell Tully's depends all the way from over here, calling him an old man. Then Hangman wanders out. Dak Tarwood states that it wasn't him and Wheeler that talked him into costing the Bucks the match. It was you getting into your own head and being insecure about losing to the Bucks that caused you to allow you to cost them the match and get kicked out of the elite. You're an insecure boy That is stuck in your own head. And you're a piece of shit. Omega warns him. You're getting into his head again. Sorry. Into his head. They drop the titles right in front of Hangman. Omega then leaves without Hangman. And. Like I can get the nuts and bolts of this. But I thought Jim Ross gave the most. Accurate summary at the end of this. This is a strange situation.
0: Kind of is yeah. Um. So even though, like, we've seen Page be friendly with FTR in the past, like, you know, it, like, it seemed like FTR was slowly trying to, like, recruit Page into their ranks away from the Elite. But this week, it was almost like FTR were revealing their true colors. Like, they were doing all of this to, I guess, get into Page's head because this was them completely turning on Page, calling him out for being insecure. I thought it was really interesting how Dax Harwood talked about how um he knew Page longer than basically you know, the other members of the elite have um, and calling page up for being a scared, little insecure, little boy. And I thought page did a good job of kind of playing that role here. You know, the sad look on his face when like FTR grabbed his belt and page was just like a little kid, like, you know, <laughs> g- give it back. Like that's mine. Um, I thought, I thought it was an interesting turn for page. It, it was a little different from like, the rest of the story that I think has led up to this point. Um, but I guess, I mean, it does make, it can make sense, you know, like it, it, people change, like suddenly people turn bad. Um, I don't know. What did you think?
2: I felt like almost everyone was kind of just all over the place here. Like I can, I can narrow in on the story. I just think it's really This promo, it was very disjointed. I thought Kenny Omega was kind of the 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 over-the-top Kenny Omega that I don't think is people's favorite. Um, And it was just, like, we've just seen so many, like, FTR, we've seen them go from attacking the Rock and Roll Express to befriending Hangman to completely emasculating him here in the span of, like, three episodes. All of this has happened. I think people are looking at this like this should be a phenomenal match on Saturday. Uh, it's kind of all of these characters in this kind of varying degrees of change, and I think we're at a period where it's like the match should hopefully come out with a more clearer view. Hopefully, but I left this one kind of like you're not left with really who who are you rooting for in this Hangman? Because so of-
0: so that's the thing is I don't I don't know if they're like even doing heel babyface. I mean clearly like FTR are the heels but certainly the way like Kenny's been was acting in at the beginning of this segment um by the way on on BT they're again teasing the return of the cleaner you know at the yep. end of this week's episode Kenny put his shades back on so I think this was an attempt to, for Kenny to play a more heelish version of Kenny Omega like he was the cleaner here uh thus you know making fun of Tully for being old calling uh FTR what is it Hillbilly Dicks or something Dickhead Dick, Hillbillies Dickhead Hillbillies So I think everybody's just trying to add a bit more of a heel edge to them. But in specific to FTR, like, yeah, like you have to line out maybe like their narrative throughout this entire time. And that's they came in super friendly with like the elite friends with everybody. And then they come up with this great plan to have Dax Harwood injure himself or pretend to be injured in the middle of the match just to see who was really on their side. And it turns out it was only Hangman Page that cared enough to leave the match to follow Dax Harwood. To see that he was cool. Um, but now. This whole time. I think. What we are. You know. we What we can really assume. Was that Dax Harwood. and uh, Shit. I forget the other dude's name.
2: Cash Wheeler. Cash
0: Wheeler. Oh god. I'm not going to get used to that. They were just. Fucking with the Elite. This entire time. Pulling Hangman. Out from the match. So that the Elite. Can. You know. Eventually lose that match. Um, they do the full turn. On uh what is it the Bucks uh, by attacking ricky morton and then but they still say hey page we're your friend we like you but tonight was the complete turn where they said uh page you suck too we never liked you to begin with you're an insecure little boy we're gonna beat you for the belt so i think if you map it out like i don't know how they're gonna explain it on this countdown special if you map it out beat by beat i think it can make sense Um, But seeing it kind of like seeing all the twists and turns, you know, as it happens, it, it, it might need a bit more like, you know, kind of like condensing in order to really grasp like what is in their heads.
2: Maybe you just needed more of a clear motivation for FTR's attack on the Rock and Roll Express, such as their disdain for this internet age and what it's done to their beloved industry. And if we have to trace its roots, it goes right back to the York Foundation and Richard fucking Morton. Yeah, sure. I mean, they didn't attack Gibson. They attacked Morton.
0: Richard Morton, Terrence Taylor, the original
2: internet darlings. Yeah. I mean, the the computerized man of the 90s with -hmm. this program that alexander york came up with
0: they've got right. a, a i mean okay i don't know what terry Reynolds is doing i'd love to see that game come back in
2: AEW. i mean it could bring break bring him back on spring break please turns out she's like uh she runs like a whole network of bots that just trolls all of these wrestlers online wow. and gets them into you know it, it just it forced the young bucks to quit twitter she's been behind all of this whoa amazing to Dis- disassociate the Bucks from their fan base. And it was all a grand plan by FTR with Alexander York. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed like
0: this FTR Omega. Like at the end, it's all about the match. You know, am I excited to see FTR versus Omega and Page? The answer is absolutely yes. I mean, they could fuck up the storyline royally and I'd still be interested. Um, it's a story that I think um, will read a whole lot better in like a five minute recap rather than perhaps like beat by beat throughout the
2: weeks i think this match has the highest expectation level because everyone is going to be thinking something the caliber of revolution with uh the bucks match with omega and page and that's mm-hmm. maybe an unfair standard to have but it's going to be the one fresh in people's mind and has been brought up uh constantly in this in this lead up to this one so i i think there's a ton of pressure on these four but i also have uh a high degree of confidence that this is going to be a Fantastic match on Saturday. Yeah. Alex Marvez is with Chris Jericho. He says that the Mimosa Mayhem match is the perfect culmination of 14 weeks of Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. And he has made Cassidy a better man. He proved that he can cut a promo during a debate. He has shown a vicious streak, allowing him to be a main event star. And now he's got to put the bullet into Orange Cassidy's head. So on this show, we've had the threat of a man going through a wood chipper and now a bullet to another guy's head. He's going to hit him with the Judas effect and then toss him into the vat of the mimosa. And tonight, Joey Janela will be the sacrifice. And that was very accurate.
0: Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Good promo from Jericho.
2: Yeah, very. Jericho knows when it is time to drop the, the fun stuff that he's very good with. And when it's like tonight was not the night to be doing the jokes and stuff like this was all serious Jericho and that extended to this match and the post match beat down. It was all like we're, we're through all the comedy stuff and now it's time to sell a fight on Saturday.
0: Even though it's a mimosa match, um, you know, it's like the whole Mitch the Potted Platt thing, even though like the gimmick is somewhat comedic, he is trying to play it as seriously and as violent, I guess, as they can.
2: Uh, Joey Janela cut a promo coming out. He was happy to see all the fans back. I think this was only during the break that this went out to. Man, did you also notice during the break you were watching on a fight? Yep.
0: Did you hear JR say, Janela should be a heel? He looks like a heel. Walks like a heel. (laughs) No, I didn't. How does a heel heel walk? Like Janela. He walks like a heel and talks like a heel. Yeah. I don't know if that was meant for air, but... um, (laughs) Probably not. You know? Could, I mean, could have been worse.
2: Could have been worse. Uh, Janelle and Jer- <laughs> that's very funny. Um, I was actually I was so far behind tonight. I started very late, so I was I had to kind of skim through all the commercials and stuff. So I, I missed kind of gems like that. Um, Cassidy is out to sit ringside, and Jericho wrestles the match wearing an orange Cassidy shirt. And dude, this was a ten-seven round. He beat the piss out of Janela. Just. Dominated. He took all of this match and pinned, uh, submitted him with the lion tamer in 326. And then that wasn't enough. He exposes the turnbuckle and drives Janella into the exposed buckle. And Janella is busted open from this. He takes the Cassidy shirt, wipes it on Janella's head. And the shirt, it's like perfectly placed where the blood is on Cassidy's uh, forehead on the shirt. And then he throws it at Orange Cassidy. The... Cassidy then just fires up, running into the ring. He gets double teamed with Jake Hager getting involved. Sonny Kiss comes out and decks Jericho, but then it's slammed down by Hager. Cassidy makes a comeback, and as he goes for the Superman punch to Jericho, Hager pulls him out, and it's revealed inside the Jansport backpack that Cassidy has a bottle of the bubbly that he pops the cork, dumps it onto the mat, and gives the champagne a thumbs down mm-hmm so you know this segment not so
0: much a, a peak uh of i guess you know um emotion in in this rivalry but more so just a reminder hey like these two really hate each other uh and they have a fight coming up on saturday um the you know jericho squashing of janella i i mean i'm sure like Janela fans will be upset about it i at this point like he's already so low on the on the on the card that I don't think it hurts him. He's, he's a well liked wrestler who can take a beating well. And I think Jericho kind of needs it heading into the, the, the pay-per-view. It was a rare TV appearance for, for him. And I thought it was used to decent effect here.
2: I mean, that's, it's your, what would you say? Number, number two match on the show at worst. Number three. I mean, it's one, it's one of the big matches yeah. on Saturday and that's, you know, this was Jericho steamrolling his opponent and that's the role Chinella was in. So, I mean, that's, um Man. I have
0: to say though like I I like the imagery of like the blood on the shirt but god like I definitely feel weird about like seeing blood um I mean I I feel like blood in the middle of a match I think it was way worse good. later
2: and you could certainly argue there there shouldn't have been both of these angles with well, blood
0: Well it's Pick. like blood in the middle of a match like you know if it's like a big big feud like I get it but man, like blood wiping it, wiping a dude's blood on your oh, shirt, I hated that. and then oh, throwing, sorry. then throwing that shirt to another guy to catch. I mean, like shit. It, I, I know everybody's being tested, but shit, like should we be throwing blood-soaked items to <laughs> to everybody? Like, the answer is no. Um,
2: man. We shouldn't. And it was, I, I really did not enjoy the the MJF wiping blood all over himself. Oh, I mean, that, like you're just. Uh, it's i'm not a fan of that at, at all i know some it's just it, it comes down to i think your length of following pro wrestling that blood is so intertwined with it um that it's just second nature but i think that that is i don't know something that certainly i feel needs to be re- re-
0: yeah, reviewed revised. maybe yeah yeah
2: team taz came out With uh, Cage and Starks and Taz. They started cutting a promo. Taz called Lance Archer the big schmuck. So Jake interrupts with Archer, calling them a bunch of squirrels trying to get a nut. And they're the best set of losers he's ever seen. Then Eddie Kingston comes out with his crew. He tells Jake the show is live, they've got to save time. So he's going to take over. He says, Archer isn't tougher than Kingston. Jake says, You must have been drinking. Then Tully and Sean Spears wander out. Taz says his guys will fight all of them. And this escalated into everybody involved in the Casino Battle Royale uh, fighting, including Billy Gunn. We had uh, Serpentico involved here. Just a bunch of guys from the crowd. Some that weren't even identifiable. And then Santana Ortiz and Jake Hager and the best friends all came out as well. So I presume they're all in the match. And what was notable last week and continued this week is no longer pentagon junior but uh penta l0m right yeah so that looks to be the new name that they are going to be calling him um you know i think
0: these two weeks of interactions between taz and jake have shown me that um guys can be great promos on their own when you put them together um doesn't always equal better you know and i thought taz and jake together were better than last week but once eddie kingston got out here the whole thing just became a mess. Like Kingston was thrown off because Tully just started to walk out from the back, and Taz at some point, at one point, was like, "Finish your damn point!" Like it was just nobody. It was a bad Zoom up. call. Yeah, it was like nobody ended up sounding good, and to me, like this was maybe a case where, yeah, unscripted is better, but it, it a bit of production definitely um, was required here because the whole thing ended up being really sloppy. I hate the mindless brawl. To tee up a battle royal. Like what are these people fighting for? You know it's the same thing WWE used to always do. Or they still always do. Before Royal Rumble. You know or before Money in the Bank. Somebody would grab a ladder and they'd climb. They fight to climb a ladder to the top. For no reason. Because the match hadn't even started yet. Anyway like I, I didn't think it was. Yeah you have to remind people of like this battle royal. But a graphic I think is more realistic. And it's, it's fine. It's better than just. Or give me some promos from some of these other guys. Rather than just like people randomly coming in here for a, a what a warm up battle royal.
2: Yeah, I would have saved some time and just done maybe like a, a just a slew of thirty second promos throughout the night. It, it will you wouldn't be able to get to everybody, but the the key focal points of the match and just give them their thirty seconds to cut a promo. And you could you know one segment could be Kingston with his whole crew, and that accounts for uh, a number of guys right there. And same with Team Taz. Um I th- I think that would have worked better cuz you do have some good promos but th- this was not a segment that showcased it. Yeah. Thunder Rosa making her dynamite debut took on Serena Deeb. And we we also had a little uh, video
0: for the Dark Order just kind of promoting uh their match against uh Matt Cardona, the Nightmare uh what is it? Natural Nightmares and also cute uh who's the other other guy? Sky, Scorpio Sky.
2: Yes. Um Yeah, they were uh Again, fantastic on Monday. That's I mean, awesome.
0: that really is her go-home show, right?
2: That's, it is. Yeah. So, Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb. All I could think about here was that <laughs> Serena Deeb, okay? Do you know how old Serena Deeb is? Oh, I'm going to be shocked,
0: aren't I? Um yep. So, I'm going to say 40? 34-year-old Serena Deeb. <laughs> okay, I don't... I. Don't... Sorry, was, am I supposed to be
2: shocked or? She was hired by WWE two years ago as a coach. It's like, yeah, what's this woman do? like? Granted, she, she's probably a fine coach, but to me, it's like this, this, they deemed like her in ring career is is done. I thought she was great in this match.
0: Uh yeah, I thought I thought she was fine. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, she had competed in the mayon Classic. I feel bad because I guess 40. Because I thought you were gonna shock me.
2: Well, it's, like, I think, because the perception is she's <laughs> much older than she is, and you would think, okay, if she was 40, okay, they are transitioning her to a coaching role. They were transitioning her to a coaching role when she was 32 years old. Well, she wasn't even in
0: the system. Like, I don't know what led to her being a coach at the PC, um, but they, yeah, for whatever reason, didn't, you know, choose her to become a an active talent and directly moved her from the Mayan Classic to a coaching role.
2: Well. Wow. This was an example of uh, two women that I thought uh, came out and the announcers were almost uh, nervous to say it, that they were significantly above what a lot of the women's matches have been on Dynamite. I mean, they came out and they had a really strong technical match. Uh, Just all of their stuff was very crisp. Jim Ross was blown away by these two and he was not hiding that fact.
0: Jim Ross was a lot more vocal in this match. I mean, she comes; he comes in with a lot more knowledge of Serena Deeb, um, and also knowledge of the NWA Women's Championship.
2: Um, it was a uh, Deeb, you know, controlling her with a waistlock early. Uh, she snapped uh, Thunder Rosa's left arm. Uh, there was a pile driver that got countered, and Thunder Rosa hit her with a Death Valley Driver. And Jim Ross is mentioning that you know Serena G- Serena Deeb could earn a job here, and he follows <laughs> up by saying have you seen the unemployment rates lately? And Tony's like, yeah. (laughs) So this is a, this is a potentially uh, economic stimulus match. And it ends with Thunder Rosa hitting the Thunder driver to win, but a very, I thought very good competitive match. And to me, um, granted Thunder Rosa is in a unique position because of her affiliation with the NWA. But these are two women that I think would greatly enhance AEW's women's division and I I hope that we see more of Serena Deeb as well I wasn't as big of a fan
0: of the match uh, as you I mean um, was it better than maybe like the typical fair uh, in the women's division on Dynamite perhaps I I personally felt like the energy was a little bit lacking in this one and I don't know if that was just due to like the noise in the uh, arena tonight which seemed lesser than usual for some reason but personally, I felt like for a showcase match for Thunder Rosa, I thought it went a little bit long, maybe a little too even. Um,
2: I I think, I think the problem was that it is, you know, you're looking at this, okay, do we do this? Like, she just steamrolls someone, like a Jericho and Janela, but for a lot of people, you're also introducing Thunder Rosa, and I think you wanted to have more of so a what? competitive match to showcase her. In I mean, it's, it's
0: the Keith Lee thing, isn't it, for Monday? Like... I, I think you can do that in a short amount of, uh, of time where she's dominant. Um, as long as, like, she's got, like, you know, really impressive moves. Or at least, like, ways to really impressively showcase her. I I didn't really feel it by the end of this one. You know, she felt like an average wrestler.
2: I, I just thought, t- technically, it was, like... Very, very good match. Like this wasn't the best match on the show, but I thought it was, you know, just very, very solid between the two. And I think that they'd be both great additions to this uh, women's division. Uh, after that, we had John Moxley cut a promo, telling MJF not to sweat the process and mentioned the nerves, the media, the photo shoots, answering the same question a thousand times. He says, all of that isn't going to matter. When the bell rings, all the lawyers, the campaigns, all of that stops, and it's are you ready to kill or be killed. 2020's already been a bad enough year. We don't need you winning the title to make it worse. It's trial by fire, and everything that you've done up until now, MJF, that's the easy part.
0: Yeah, Uh, okay promo, setting up um, the main event.
2: Then they outlined all of the programming they have. From Friday up until the pay-per-view. So we've got a Friday night edition of Dark at 7 o'clock. On Saturday, we have the all-out red carpet special part one at 5 p.m. Followed by the countdown show on TNT at 5.30. Then the part two of the red carpet special at 6.30. Followed by the buy-in at 7. And then the pay-per-view at 8. This required two columns of programming notes for Friday and Saturday. This is a lot of stuff before the pay-per-view. I guess all voluntary programming that is not absolutely must-see, but quite a lot.
0: So it's a special edition of Dark, because uh, obviously you can't like pre-tape matches for after the pay-per-view. So they're airing that on Friday, right before SmackDown, and then a full day of stuff uh, on their YouTube channel and then, so you're, they're doing this red carpet, and then they're telling you to go to TNT to watch the countdown, then back to YouTube if you want for the red carpet,
2: and then the buy-in, and then all out. Okay. Tony Shavani was with Big Swole, and they confirmed that her match with Brick Baker will be on the buy-in. She said Baker's been ducking her, and she's going to have no place to hide on Saturday. And then we get a pizza delivery for Schiavone. And its the, the, rep- the, they announced the match type. Yes, it's a tooth and nail match. Yeah. Not
0: sure what that means.
2: Um Sounds like it's just gonna be like no DQ or a street fight or something.
0: But with specific like teeth dentist tools or what?
2: They're, they're gonna fight tooth and nail. It just means probably everything goes. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Unless I maybe think there's gonna
0: be more dentist stuff. I mean I think they're each extract gonna
2: Extract a tooth to win?
0: Yeah. Sure.
2: I mean, that's that's more plausible than a guy's eye coming out, so maybe remove a tooth or she, nail them to a post or something. Swole,
0: kept, Swole kept saying, I'm going to visit you where you work, you know, and that type of thing. So, I mean... Oh,
2: uh, maybe it'll be on location then. Maybe it'll be in the makeshift dentist office backstage.
0: Yeah, either, like, they're going to film this on location or they're going to just have, like, a, yeah, a makeshift dentist chair or something.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she brought that up several times. So... The pizza delivery woman is Rebel behind a mask, which is a distraction for Baker to hit Swole from behind with the crutch, which allowed Tony or sorry, Jim Ross to say, holy pepperoni as Big Swole got the face full of pizza. And then the lock jaw is applied as they wipe the pizza into Big Swole's face. You notice how like Baker um,
0: asked to like asked Rebel to give her the mask
2: first before she put it in the lock jaw. She got the face mask. Yeah, to put over her fingers although it still looked like she was putting her fingers in there. It was kind of hard to see. Well, she yeah, she was handed the
0: mask. So what's what's what is what's the rule? It's like you're not allowed to put your fingers in,
2: directly into somebody's mouth cuz last time she did this, didn't she have like gloves? She was using the latex glove, but that was yeah, that was several months ago when she was she hasn't done any real physicality since
0: then. Yeah. So is there a rule that says you can't stick your fingers in your Opponent's mouth without, unless you had protection or something.
2: I don't know if there's any rules, but if, if there was such a rule, I don't know if they would, if a woman's protective mask that's been on her face would be considered the protective measure to prevent any kind of a uh, disease being spread.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure like what, what, what the deal is. Maybe it's Baker herself, you know, cause she is a practicing dentist. Maybe it's her not wanting to like just put her fingers into anybody's mouth that she's going to do it. I'm not sure, but it, I just found it interesting.
2: The lock jaw is a very odd move to be doing in this climate, you know, where unfortunately, we're, yes, we're talking about putting your hand in someone's mouth. Right. Um, and you, and you have such an easy way around it with the latex glove. Like that totally fits her character and even adds to it that she wants to be like, she doesn't want to, uh she wants to be sanitary and not, I mean, uh yeah, she, she could just wear gloves like the whole time she could. Yeah. It's not that hard. Uh, to get over. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But I thought
0: this was a good closing physical angle. It's the first physicality we've had from Britt Baker in months. And, you know, much like MJF, like with her, all we've really seen up until this point has been comedy. So getting violent was almost a bit of a shock and a good type of shock. So um tooth and nail match coming up.
2: Mark Sterling comes out with Wardlow. He's dressed like a billboard campaign uh, or a campaign billboard. And He cuts a promo saying he's never heard of someone slipping a page into a contract. He called it very dirty. And they explain he's been working all week with MJF to become a better wrestler. He's been training since Friday. So this was kind of like What we talked about with with Rebel before, that Mark Sterling, who is a trained professional wrestler who's been wrestling for years, he had to work this match as a guy who didn't know a thing about what he was doing. He had to play a lawyer.
0: Yeah, yeah, who's never wrestled before. Um, He cut a promo saying that he did their best trying to get rid of page 17 with his team of lawyers, Um, but they were unsuccessful. And that's okay, because over the weekend, he works with MJF and his new best friend, Wardy, to uh, learn headlocks and everything.
2: So John Moxley comes out. Uh, Mark Sterling is keyed as MJF's inattentive attorney making his AEW debut. Sterling is just... Like, he just probably just followed a bunch of, you know, the, the top babyface taking on the heel manager who finally has to... It just plays the coward, and he just was spooked by Moxley. He doesn't know how to make a fist. Moxley's teaching him. He swings wildly and Moxley slaps the hell out of him, uh, turns his back and then sidesteps as Sterling crashes down to the floor. He briefly poked Moxley in the eye, which immediately the announcers jumped on, bringing up Moxley's past eye issues. But that does not last for long. Sterling is thrown into the guardrails on the floor. There's a bunch of chairs dumped on top of him. And then Moxley beats Sterling with his own shoe. And they go back into the ring. Moxley offers his hand. And it's hard to pick this up, but he goes to Sterling and says, come on. This is terrible television. And then (laughs) kicks him in the gut and hits the paradigm shift and pins Sterling in five minutes.
0: Oh, man. Uh, You know, and this guy like Mark Sterling, he's he's a very good comedic performer. He's very funny. I think this would have been cute on like an undercard. I don't think it worked at all in the main event spot on the go-home show right before pay-per-view. Not when, you know, MJF himself has already kind of made a big turn in trying to make this thing serious. Um, getting a match like this here... When I think it's sh- it should have been very different. I I there was very little reaction to the comedy in, live in attendance here. At least it wasn't picked up that well, that well, and it felt really flat. You know, at at, at nine fifty, as as the show was about to go off air.
2: This felt like what we've seen in a lot of the empty arena settings, and I'd extend this to that. Like this was not a like there were fans there, but you weren't getting big reactions on this show, and it just felt like comedy is very hard to do in these kinds of Uh, environments and that that's where uh, i found this one to be tough uh for that i mean they didn't go long and this was more so about the post match i think this was to present something somewhat light before we were going to get really heavy with the ending uh so i didn't really have an issue with the, the tone by the end of this where it's wardlow attacking moxley he hits the f10 and mjf comes out ditches the walker takes off the neck collar he's completely fine. And he beats down Moxley. Who's already been taken out by Wardlow. He's punching him. He, they explain on commentary, he milked the injury in order to get the paradigm ship band. And he's just screaming into the camera. You want violence. You've got it. And he drills Moxley after Wardlow puts the ring on. Moxley is bleeding. So this is our, our second big usage of blood on this show. And then MJF rubs Moxley's blood over his face and Wardlow passes him the title. He holds up the AEW championship, calling himself the future. And this is the beginning of 25 years of MJF. It's a hell of a term. Uh, so, 49 year old MJF will be looking back at this as <laughs> the start. That's not that bad by today's standard. No. Um, yeah. So, there you go. That's how <laughs> it ended. It, you know, this is really about just a real push of MJF being a legitimate threat to this championship and yeah making you believe that you could see a title switch on saturday
0: yeah i thought him standing tall was was great um you know his violent turn on this episode i thought was effective you know by the end of the episode you're not so much laughing at or with him i mean i found him like scary you know at the end of this whole thing so i thought they were successful there man the blood the blood stuff definitely like made me feel a bit uncomfortable especially coming after like another blood angle earlier in the show um but you know as far as like a feud goes i think they've done a great job building this one up
2: i think so i think that there's um you've introduced enough doubt that you know you could you could uh you could see a title change but i i think they did a really good job tonight of really uh pushing mjf as a threat to john moxley so it's been a very good build, I think between those two, but with Moxley's promos, I think have been great throughout all of this. MJF has certainly shown his ability to be that top heel um, presence and, and get away from like the, the, the like the goofball role that's entertaining and into a very serious, dangerous uh, threat tonight. So that was our go home episode heading into the pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, I thought it was an okay show.
0: You know, I, I mean, you know, much of my interest in the, in the show has already kind of reached, like, I would say, a peak maybe in prior weeks. So if I was an AEW fan, I I think I would have probably made up my mind that I was going to buy the show, uh, not thanks to this particular episode of Dynamite, but from the weeks and weeks of build prior to it. Um, I can't necessarily say, like, this particular episode heightened my interest in too, many, too much. Outside of, like, FTR and Omega and Pedro, I thought you saw some pretty significant... You know, even if it was maybe slightly confusing to some viewers, um, build, you know, for that particular match. And uh I, I did feel like overall though, the show this one felt like it was missing a certain crowd energy that we had last week that we didn't seem to have this one.
2: We want taped shows, that's what you're saying, way. <laughs> okay, let's go to feedback and then we'll quickly go through uh the pay-per-view lineup for Saturday. So tonight's show got a seven point seven seven on the forum. Paul from New Jersey writes, I really enjoyed the opener. Glad Santana and Ortiz were, vi- were victorious. Happy to see Excalibur back as Jim Ross is a complete mess on commentary. AEW Kenny is so lame. I don't know how it was in Canada, but all curses made it on air as the dump guy was late. Jake Roberts said, nobody will bust a nut while they're in the ring. I believe him. One of the worst <laughs> segments of the year. Very strong showing from the women tonight. Main event was boring. A five out of 10.
0: I see. I feel like I think he's referring to all the shits that came out. Um, what is it? The uh, the hang the hangman.
2: Yeah, the tag the tag title segment.
0: Yeah, I mean they didn't even attempt to cut uh, edit those. I, I on didn't fight. hear
2: any like delays or anything. It just seemed like they let it run.
0: Yeah, so we were watching on fight where I mean they didn't even try. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they they would probably told him not to say it if if they couldn't. All right, we go to Noah from Vaughn who says, textbook go-home show for a pay-per-view. Literally everything was building towards the pay-per-view on Sunday, which should, again, top 100,000 buys. If there's one thing AEW knows how to do really well, it's promote a big event, and this Saturday's card feels like a really big deal. It was kind of odd having that Battle Royal preview go on for as long as it did, but it really highlighted the depth of the AEW roster. Such an incredible amount of talent will be in that Battle Royal. I'm pretty curious who ends up being the 21st spot in that match, as all three times they've done the casino gimmick has been someone not announced beforehand. Personally, I would love to see Chris Hero in that spot if he's available. 7.5 out of 10, show.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I really hope we see Chris Hero surface uh, somewhere, and here is as good a spot as possible. I, I'm i very surprised that we haven't seen Chris Hero yet, and maybe that lends credence to the idea that he's he could be coming in here potentially
0: yeah sure there's definitely like room for a big appearance and a big surprise on this show and that battle royal seems like it's the best place now you're not gonna have them win it will you like i guess uh, whoever whoever is the surprise like will you have them win it or will it just be surprise
2: i think it depends who like it's a great way to introduce someone and you know you skyrocket them with like a big match out of the gate but um yeah i think it depends like Chris Hero, to me, is someone that could come in in a, a multitude of different um, roles uh, for them. Yeah, if he... And I, I guess it all it depends on how impactful a debut you want to make. Um, but we'll go, we'll go over the Battle Royal in a few minutes of potential winners. Jared writes, The storytelling in the tag division right now is absolutely incredible. I think it will be interesting to see Paige and Omega break up and move to singles roles. Their feud can be great and will set up a hot challenger for the AEW title. JR's desperate hold on while trying to read the weekend schedule was pure panic. I guess their banter went over. I have no idea what a tooth and nail match is, and I don't feel like they made an attempt to explain it. The main event was dumb and kind of long, but I enjoyed the post-match beatdown. Excalibur was a welcome return. Kudos to him and Kenny for the Hanukkah mention. Jay
0: from Colorado, kudos to AEW or maybe just JR for the attention to detail. At the opening of the private, private party versus uh, private party and SCU versus Jurassic Express and Young Bucks match, JR just throws it out there that the winner of this match would get an extra payday for being on the pay per view. Nothing huge, just something small to get you invested. It's so much better, better than just having storyless matches on a pay per view or regular show. Also, being the elite was so good this week that it convinced me to drive an hour south to the nearest cracker barrel. I live in a rural area of Colorado and have two chilies within 10 minutes of me, but have to drive an hour to go to the Cracker Barrel, and it's always worth it.
2: <laughs> Look at that. They they drew money on being the elite this week from Jay in Colorado. We don't have Cracker Barrels or chilies here, do we? Uh, do we not have chilies anywhere in Canada? Don't, or at least in
0: Not in Toronto. Toronto? I don't yeah. think so.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I've been, I've been to Cracker Barrel, but they've always been in the States. Yeah. Um, Okay, well thanks everyone for your feedback Uh, Let's take a look at this pay-per-view way Uh, Britt Baker and Big Swole The tooth and nail match I guess, you know, this has obviously been Built up for quite a long time And I guess there's some intrigue Of what this match entails But it's the lone match they've confirmed For the buy-in
0: Yeah, uh, my feeling is that This feud doesn't necessarily end right here Um, You know, it's been a long time In the making And I feel like they are They've invested a whole lot more into this than just, uh, you know, um, a buy-in match would provide. So I imagine Britt Baker wins this one and Swole um, fights again to get her revenge later on.
2: I could actually see Big Swole winning this one and just kind of gives her a big win. Um, This is, I don't know if it's so much of a surprise, but yeah, I guess this is one that could really go... Either way, depending if they're going to continue this story, I guess just after all these months, like this is the first match, but it also feels like it's it's been a long time these two have been tied together because of the injury.
0: Yeah, it has. Yeah, Swole can win, and they could still continue it afterwards. But um, it's uh, you know, the feud has gotten more serious. I've uh, I've really obviously like enjoyed like Britt Baker's comedy. Um, now that she can get physical, I mean, I feel like there's still a lot more room for them to like continue
2: Then we have Matt Hardy Sammy Guevara a broken rules match if Matt Hardy loses he must leave AEW
0: So so a broken rules match is what a last man standing match
2: It uh that's what it sounds like Okay
0: so it's a last man standing match where if Matt Hardy loses he must leave AEW I don't know like where the he must leave AEW thing came from like was there a he cut a promo, I guess, right somewhere online. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. They
2: did I, it on the on the road 2 Special.
0: I see. I see. And what was his reasoning for like giving up
2: his career? I, well, he's coming off the. The, the, you know, he's been on the, the wrong side of this. This is how, I guess, he has to convince Sammy Guevara to take this match. Gotcha. Put up something big. Gotcha. These are the rules. The winner will be the last man standing, determined when one man can't answer the 10 count. Finishes can take place anywhere. There must be a winner. So, yeah, basically a last man standing
0: Man, match. like, you know, these two took, like, some big risks in, in their last match on TV. Uh, you know, that, also, that match was also really rushed. So I imagine this time they'll probably, you know, be able to take their time a little bit more uh mm-hmm. but you can certainly expect the same level of high risk things and i just i shudder to see what they'll do to each other cuz a lot of blood has been shed in this feud
2: yeah i think this one has to be violent um and probably has to require a pretty big stunt to keep someone down i i could see after what they've done so far i could see yeah matt hardy gets the big victory here
0: i think sammy's going to win cuz like mm it would almost be a little disappointing if like they announce a stipulation like this and they don't deliver. Cause I don't necessarily feel like the audience is like, man, I hope Matt Hardy like doesn't leave AEW. Not that we like, we want him to leave AEW, but I certainly want to see what story comes with him leaving AEW and how he can come back. Like, I feel like this is more of a launching point to like a next Matt Hardy's next character or storyline rather than like, you know, crisis averted. I'm ba- I'm not. I don't have to leave AEW. Let's celebrate. Like it doesn't well, feel like that that type of culmination.
2: I mean, that's the natural, like where you go from a stipulation like that. That's in fans' heads. And I don't. I'm curious if AEW really wants to introduce that, where it's getting around a stipulation.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure. Who knows.
2: Like it it does
0: seem like it's a stipulation that's been announced a little bit out of nowhere. And I almost feel like they wouldn't have announced a stipulation this big if they weren't going to deliver on it.
2: Yeah. Well, this, I think this is going to be Sammy taking some insane stunt in this match. And that's why I kind of see Matt Hardy winning this and not, not going that direction where you have to, you know, bring him back under some guys or something like that. Uh, jungle express jungle boy and Luchasaurus against the young bucks. Um, I think this is going to be an excellent match, and you've you've made it where you're going to see the Bucks kind of working as the heels in this match. And I think this will be a really great match with the Young Bucks getting the win and should be positioned as you know them and whoever wins the tag title match. Like that is your direction coming out of this show.
0: I agree. I mean, we're seeing a uh, sort of revitalized Young Bucks, or a meaner Young Bucks, a more serious Young Bucks, and um, you know
2: uh, this could be a show stealer. This one. Uh, the Dark Order: Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson against Matt Cardona, Scorpio Sky, Dustin Rhodes, and QT Marshall in an eight-man tag. Um, you know
0: the the Dark Order is certainly like one of the hotter things right now in in, in AEW, so I can't really see them losing. Um, man, it, it's also a chance to see how Matt Cardona continues to fit into AEW because he's made some pretty sporadic appearances and i can't really say he's really shown himself to like i don't know be a big difference maker in any sort of way um he mentioned in his little interview today that he's not even really he doesn't even really work here so um in storyline at least he doesn't seem to actually have a contract i mean we've yet to have a real story with him so maybe this would be a way to to branch off into that
2: yeah i i think this is kind of the You know, you're just coming off that huge angle. I think this should be a a win for the Dark Order. Brody Lee looks dominant and probably beats the hell out of Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. So um, then we have the Casino Battle Royale, 21 man Battle Royale. They've announced 17 names so far. We've got Darby Allen, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, Penta Penta L0M, Ray Phoenix, Butcher Blade, Eddie Kingston, Sean Spears, Billy Gunn, Austin Gunn, Jake Hager, Santana, Ortiz, Chuck Taylor, and Trent. So we have four open slots in this match.
0: Yeah, the big push has been behind, uh, you know, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, and I think to you know uh, Darby Allen, and maybe to a lesser extent Ricky Starks. Um, So you would think that it would be one of those several few. Um, Certainly, like a guy like Eddie Kingston coming in. it wouldn't surprise me if they set, decided to, to do that, although I I don't know if he's necessarily like he's he's great, but like, I don't know if he's necessarily hot enough for a world championship match yet at the moment. Um, who do you think it's it's kind of tough to call?
2: Yeah, I mean, not knowing like, you know, those four slots, it could very well be someone out of left field that's not announced for the match. I would say that. Um, See, L- so. lance archer is one that i i think you could you could easily go that direction that might be almost too predictable that uh darby allen i would i would say if mjf wins then i would say darby allen yeah me too yeah. yeah i don't know if you want to go back to moxley and darby after you just did that so so short um he's the only you know he's the most serious baby face in this
0: battle royal that can po- possibly win it
2: yeah L- like literally looking at the announced names um Ray Phoenix would be kind of interesting. Just the the one that you would not be expecting, Um, but
0: nobody knows Ray Phoenix. Like people know Ray Phoenix. Of course you could promote like a dynamite main event with Ray, Ray Phoenix, but it seems to me like, I feel like if you're going to win a battle royal, you're, you should be set up for like a pay-per-view main event. And they just haven't introduced Ray Phoenix well enough yet.
2: I I don't think it necessarily has to confirm like your pay-per-view main event. Like it's not what they did with, with Brian cage. I think that it's, it's also one where the person wins and then the job is like really build this up to be something um, like I would say no one here on the surface is someone you'd be necessarily comfortable um, headlining a pay-per-view with tomorrow. But that's, you know, the win is that should propel you and then you build this up to be something. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's John Moxley and Austin Gunn. <laughs> Uh, so we will see, I guess. Yeah, it really comes down to who those surprises are. Cause it very well could be someone that's not announced and ends up winning this whole thing. Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa. I'm looking forward to this. I think this should be uh, a very strong match. I think that there is, I think there's a lot of pressure on the women's division. I think it's the most scrutinized division that AEW has. So they're in a very big position, uh, where a lot of people want to see them deliver. And so there's a lot of pressure on these two. Certainly. Absolutely.
0: Um, you know, this, despite maybe like how I've personally felt about like the, the match tonight, I, I'm still really looking forward to this one. I think it'll be a totally different story once we're talking about pay-per-view, once we're talking about Hikaru Shida and, you know, um, big prize at stake. Yeah, like a title match on a pay-per-view is going to feel different. And I think both these women will really be on their A-game. So um, I think Shida retained. It's a successful defense for her and hopefully it's a great match.
2: Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against FTR for the tag titles. What I really like about this, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Young Bucks should win like a big match and that should go on earlier in the night. And the idea is it could be the Bucks challenging either one of these coming out of it. And you could, like, you have storyline directions to both teams. You could do the the big rematch with Omega and page and they escape with the titles here, or you finally deliver on the FTR match or just keep people waiting even longer and they don't come through here. But uh, I really like that dynamic of having the bucks win earlier in the night before we go into this. And I mean, this, this has the ability to be the match of the night. I think it's, I I think it's going to be excellent and they're, they're probably going to get there. God, 25 minutes. I would think. They've managed to
0: create a great tag team in Kenny Omega and Adam Page, you know, for throughout the year, um, to the point where you can put them against like a team like FTR. And I think to some people they would maybe even consider this a bit of a dream match. Um, I, but however, I I do feel like it's, it's sort of the end of of the road for Kenny Omega and, and Adam Page. I mean, both characters seem to be evolving into like different forms of themselves and um, maybe now would be the time to break them off into singles, singles runs where you can use them both uh, to greater effect for fresher matchups because this this show kind of needs baby faces right now. Um, and you transition to FTR versus The Young Bucks, and also like you know the fact that they had Tully basically mentioned like like to make Tully look like a successful manager. I think you have to have FTR win. So given that
2: Omega and Page, they are the the second aew tag champions so we we established we did the tournament to crown the first champions and if there's a title change here it would be the first aew tag title change to take place on land they won
0: on the ship they
2: won it on the boat
0: i didn't oh
2: wow really oh on that episode it, right they okay. won it on the uh the dynamite in on the rager
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting
2: wow so- <laughs> first land title change for these tag titles so that that could be historic in and of itself that's yeah, for sure chris jericho and orange cassidy the mimosa mayhem match uh i think this is going to work great but my big thing uh and this is going to extend to a lot of these matches is what is the atmosphere going to be like and i think aew shows are you know, the crowd is so significant in these shows, and you you notice it a lot when we have these live shows versus taped ones, and what is the crowd going to be like? Because if, if this were in a regular arena with 8,000 people, I think this one they'd be going nuts for, and I, I would say that for a lot of these, but the, the crowd is going to play a big factor.
0: I think, you know, on a pay-per-view, I mean, even the people ringside, I feel, will have like even the 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 undercard talent ringside, I, I'm sure will be on their best, like most energetic to 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 because they know that th- these matches are important. And I think like even for audience members, like these are matches that are far more important than you know what you would see on Dynamite. These are matches that are anticipated, that have stories built into them, and uh, outcomes that I think are uh, you know very, uh, I don't know, important. In some cases, so I think the energy should be. I I predict that the energy will be a lot better uh, on on the pay per view, and for this particular match, I think Orange Cassidy cements you know the the victory over Chris Jericho with a, a a victory here in the trilogy.
2: Yeah, I think I think you gotta have Jericho take the big plunge into the mimosa. Like that's gotta be one of the big uh, viral clips that comes out of this show. Yeah,
0: there's that, you know, I think there's just like, to me, like Chris Jericho, he kind of said in his promo today, like, straight up, I made Orange Cassidy, I made him into a main eventer, I um, showed that he can cut a promo in a debate, like, this was almost like, it was actually like a bit of a bragging, like, speech, you know, Um, and so... I I got his demo numbers up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't see him taking that back with a win here over Orange Cassidy. Um, I think Cassidy cements the whatever, um, advancement.
2: One thing we can guarantee though. I know we got a lot of it tonight. I think there's going to be juice in this match. (laughs) And every time I I hear this mimosa mayhem match, I have that visual that you threw out of Mike Tyson emerging from... (laughs) inside the vat hiding in it with like uh maybe he's got like a snorkeler or snorkel something. yeah <laughs> and then the main event john moxley mjf for the aew title uh moxley is banned from using the paradigm shift i i thought that that was maybe maybe a missed what, what's that understated yeah i think that was understated tonight i also feel Granted, tonight, it was so much built around the paradigm shift is legal tonight, but mm. it was also a chance, like, you could have introduced something else um, tonight as, you know, an alternate finish for Moxley, but right. maybe that's that's kind of the hook for what is this guy going to use on, on Saturday. I think I, you're
0: absolutely right, though. I think right before the pay-per-view, I mean, as a way to, first of all, remind the audience that this stipulation exists, and also as a way to, to like... Get people to recognize something else so that you can get another near fall. Like tonight would have been perfect.
2: If you want to get everyone just going crazy and some buzz out of this, the move to beat him with is lifting him up for the Gotch pile driver and pointing to the sky like Suzuki did last weekend.
0: Oh my god. That'd be disrespectful, you think?
2: He's st- he's honoring Carl Gotch,
0: just like Minoru did. Yeah. Um, I definitely think we'll see a gotch attempt. I mean, we'll probably see, what is it? That snapmare thing he does. Um, What are what are his other finishers?
2: I don't know. Whatever uh training couture and, and company have been teaching him. I don't know if Extreme Couture has been open during this time. Gu- guillotine or
0: something. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I see this match being like a real violent match between the two. And it's going to be Moxley prevailing. But you come out of it. That MJF fought John Moxley in his style of match, comes up short, but you come out of it like that MJF is a serious guy that begrudgingly you, you respect, and he goes through a war and probably is bleeding buckets by the end of this. Wouldn't that babyface him? I think it'll—I think you will come out of it with that, and then I think his promos will keep him— as a heel but i think the end of this it'll be this guy came very close to beating john moxley and chose a a violent streak in him that i I, because of this guy's promo ability i have no concern about him dancing around that and just immediately being that heel character still
0: i can see the title change here you know like
2: i I don't think that's crazy not at all
0: mgf to me has always been somebody who the moment he challenges for the belt he should actually win because um, I just don't. Yeah, the guy can fail, but like um, I I I don't know why you would necessarily need to play sort of like the catch up game with him again afterwards when you clearly like he's already ready. I think for the role. Um, you know Moxley I think might be even better off chasing, I, not necessarily MJF, but like you know like taking some time off from the main event scene and um mixing it up with some other guys while MJF can now feud with. The likes of kenny omega or adam page or uh uh you know uh, not cody i suppose because cody can't challenge for the belt right um but yeah like whatever baby face you have coming up i i see the title change here
2: wouldn't shock me no it's um uh definitely will you know it it would be a dramatic change of direction and it's yeah you have tons of uh it, it opens things up uh significantly All right. That's going to wrap up the show. Of course, we will be live after all out for our double double ice cap and espresso patrons. Uh, but before that, Way and I will be back on Friday night live, ten fifteen p.m. Eastern time, for all patrons at the Post Wrestling Cafe with Rewind: A Smackdown.
0: Yeah, this Friday it's the big dog. It's the big dog's big celebration. He's that's it. Champion.
2: All they've promoted is Roman Reigns on the show. Which is probably enough. They probably don't have to advertise much more than that.
0: I'm actually quite excited. you know I'm like uh, Smackdown just with this brand new heel Roman attached to Paul Heyman immediately feels fresh. so i'm I'm quite looking forward to seeing what direction they take it.
2: All right. Thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in. We'll be back on Friday. Tune in to the British Wrestling Experience on Thursday, and you can catch all of our shows up at postwrestling.com. Lots of stuff to catch up on. Up next, we've also got Rewind Away chatting Halloween Havoc 1991. What a show that was.
0: Oh, my God. I loved it. Uh, thank you for the feedback, for people who listened to it and enjoyed it. Uh, it was quite the experience talking about that match and the show,
2: show as a whole, which I actually quite enjoyed. Yes, you can see Way just gush about the Chamber of Horrors and much more on that show, which is up now for members of the cafe. That's it. Goodbye, everybody.